Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 566. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember, our motto is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we are going to talk about uh, RBG a little bit. Uh huh. She passed away on Friday night. Mm -hmm. We are going to talk about a conversation you and I had regarding what we were going to prepare for the show. Correct. And then hopefully if we get to it, I want to play a few quotes from one of my favorite teachers, Michael Singer, and we'll explain how all these puzzle pieces fit together. Sure. But but first, um, I have a workshop that I'm leading with John Duffy. It's for dads only. Sorry, ladies. Uh, it's called What Dads Miss. What do you think of that title, sweetie? Yes, I think I've already beaten that to death that I came up with that. Uh, it's 30 bucks, and if you are a member of the Tribe Men's Group, then it's free. So if you're interested, go to tribemensgroup.org. We did a Zen Talk. We have a Zen Talk tomorrow, actually. Correct. Uh, Team Zen, something we do twice a month. We do, It's basically a live podcast. We connect with one another. And uh, last one we did was Zen Talk number 101 on school anxiety, complacency, and messy rooms. And if you sign up for Team Zen and you're like, I just want to like take as much of this information and then not pay anymore, you could probably do that. We have 101 of these suckers mm-hmm. that you get access to as soon as you become a member. I would hope that you'd stick, a lot, stick around for the ride. But um, if you're interested, a free month. Type in the coupon code FRIEND. Go to ZenParentingRadio.com. Um, I also have something t- uh, tonight. tonight yeah. um, it's through the Elmhurst Public Library. It's virtual. So for those of you who don't live here, you still might be able to register. I'm not quite sure how the library is doing it. Um, but if you go to ZenParentingRadio.com and click on events, you'll see it there. Basically, it's a discussion about, you know, I used to do this talk all the time about empowering our daughters or raising, you know, confident daughters. And it's that talk, but raising confident daughters in uncertain times. Empowering um, our daughters in a in an unpredictable world. Same thing. That's right? what it says. I mean, synonymously, uh, raising confident daughters in a... What did I call it again? You said empowering our daughters <laughs> empowering in our daughters. an unpredictable world. Okay. And then it says, let's empower our girls. Yes. And that's free, right? Yes. I mean, it's through the library. They're hosting it. And I think I signed on to do this last February. Yeah. <laughs> so it was way before this. Um, but yes, I look forward to talking. So, and that's for um, moms, dads, or the daughters themselves. If they're teenagers, if they'd like to come, they're very welcome to. Um, a quick faux pas on our behalf? Yeah, I can talk about sure. that. Uh, so I got an email from somebody last week saying that last week I was talking about yin and yang. We were talking about duality. And then I missed I messed them up. Like I said, I, I said the wrong one. So let me just say that, first of all, yin and yang aren't always representative of male, female. Mm-hmm. That's not what they always have to mean. Um, they're not exclusively defined as male and female sure. is what I mean. Um, because obviously both sexes can be both, mm-hmm. right? So, but in terms of their most general relation to one another, yin is traditionally female and yang is traditionally male. So I'm saying that as a correction, if I, because uh, uh, Listener told me I said it wrong. So, and I apologize to her and I apologize to you because- Sweetie, you make mistakes? I do. And you know, it's funny with these kind of things like yin yang or right brain, left brain, or even you guys might be surprised, left hand, right hand. I don't have a clear vision. I have to have little hints to remind me. Like- I used to be a yoga teacher. I'm still a yogi, but I don't teach it anymore. And when I would like say, okay, raise your left hand or your left leg, I would have to like do something in my body to recognize it was my left or my right. Right. I don't have that. You know, some people can do that quickly. I don't. So it doesn't shock me that I made that mistake. Yes. Because and like left brain, right brain. The way I remember that, because I'm a right brainer, is that about, I don't know, probably about eight years ago now, I got a book. Um, I have two books. One is called The Right Brainer's Business Plan, and the other one is called Why Right Brainers Are Going to Change the World. So I always just try and remember those book titles. Mm-hmm. And then I that know. Helps you, right? Yeah. So anyway, I apologize to our listeners. And if you guys do hear things like that where you're like, oh, and let me tell you why that I totally could relate to the, the person who wrote in. Sometimes I listen to the rewatchables. I don't know if you guys listen to it, but Bill Simmons, it's this great podcast about old movies and 
every once in a while he'll talk about someone and he'll be like, yeah, they won an Academy Award and they didn't. And it drives me crazy. And I want to like write to Bill and be like, Mini Driver did not win an Academy Award for Goodwill Hunting, but he continues to say it. So I know how frustrating that can be to like yell at your podcast app and be like, you're wrong. That's right. Um, two more things. Yes. One is to, we're recording this on Monday, the 21st, which is the International Day of Peace. Oh, that's lovely. Which I did not know. The UN General Assembly has declared this as a day devoted to strengthening the ideals of peace through observing 24 hours of nonviolence and ceasefire. I love it. I had no idea. So happy International Peace Day, sweetie. Thank you. And then the other thing is this is just to make my wife smile and oh, laugh. Good. We watched the Emmys last night, which is really yes. good. Surprisingly good because nobody convened together. <laughs> Shockingly good. We were like, actually, Cameron came in and said, we're going to sit down and watch the Emmys, right? And I said, I don't know. Yeah. And, and you have to understand, it's a big deal for me to say that because I love award shows. She's like, I already printed off the ballots. Let's do it. And I was like... Okay. Mm. And as we watched, we were pleasantly surprised. So I'm going to play a quick, maybe 30 second clip of a show that you and I like to watch called What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> and the title of this YouTube clip is Nandor, the Relentless Homemaker. He's my favorite. A soldier in the Ottoman Empire, which meant a lot of killing. That was relentless. They would call me Nandor, the Relentless. Because I just never relent. Hey, hey, hey. Now that we are gathered here together as one, finally, in accordance with the protocols. Which you made up. Yes. Nandor is like a big turkey, just walking around trying to control everything on the farm. Is it possible for when you leave the house to blow out the candles? Sweetie, who is Nandor? Okay. <clears throat> I'm laughing so hard because I'm realizing as you're playing that, because I wanted to be like, Nandor's my favorite. Because when we first started watching what we do in the shadows. Nandor was my favorite. Can you explain what the premise of the show is? So basically it is an absurd show, which is why Todd and I love it. It's, um, it's, it's similar. The format is similar to the office or parks and rec where it's people who are being interviewed. So kind of like a mockumentary, a documentary, yes. right? But the people that they're interviewing are vampires. So there are that live in Staten Island. That live in Staten Island, which just that alone present is day, hilarious. Present day, and what they're expected to do while they're here, um, and so, but three of them are like traditional vampires: Nandor and Nadia and Laszlo, Laszlo, and then Colin Robinson. Just the difference in the name. Colin Robinson <laughs> is an energy vampire. And he just lives with them just like... So So Colin Robinson is this like normal white American guy. The I, other are like English, like goth looking people. They're more traditional vampire-ish looking. And Colin does not suck the blood of people to get his energy. What is he Colin... Takes, he steals energy to get energy. Oh. So by boring people to death and talking about things that are super annoying and trolling people on like social media. So he like needs... So he gets energy by just making people absolutely exhausted by him. And so that's funny. So, but as I was listening to Nandor, he's my favorite as far as like the one who like I love his personality, but they're all, I love all of them. It's one of those shows that you'll, you'll watch and you're like, eh, I guess that was funny. <laughs> and then like two, two days later, you'll be thinking about a scene laughing your butt off. Well, so. and then the whole gist of it is, is that they have what's called a familiar, which means a human that helps them and supports them. And his name is Guillermo. And Guillermo's desire since he was little was to be a vampire because he saw an interview with the vampire and he loved, um, What's his name? The guy who was in Interview with the Vampire. I'm not going to be able to help oh, you out on. with the names. Um, it's Bra not Brad Tom Pitt or no, Tom Cruise? it's not either of them. It was the uh, Latinx. Um, he was also in Philadelphia. We were just watching and he was just Antonio Banderas? Antonio Banderas. Thank you. I was like, he was just nominated for an Academy Award this year. So he loved Antonio Banderas in Interview with the Vampire and he's like, I could be a vampire if he's a vampire. Right. So he wants to live with them because he wants to be a vampire, but he figures out, I'm not going to tell you. So I'm not gonna tell you. You have to watch. It's just a ridiculous plug ridiculous. on a show that we love. So if you want to like laugh along with us, and it's it on was, FX. The reason Todd brought the Emmys into it is because even though Shit's Creek like totally cleaned up last night, which I was so excited because that's one of my favorite shows, I was hoping what we do in the shadows would get one Emmy so people would start watching it because it was nominated. Like just to give you guys an idea, 
under the writing category, it was nominated three times, mm. like three different times, three different episodes were nominated for best writing. So it's, it's well done. If you, for those of you who, you know, you may like the office style, the parks and rec thing, but if you liked arrested development, I think you'll love this because it's very quick. And like Todd said, you're not quite sure if it's funny in the moment, but it is. Um, on to RBG. Yes. Okay. So I want to say a few things about this that, um, cause Todd and I could go on and on about how amazing Ruth Bader Ginsburg was. And I have to say that even though I was super, super shocked when you came in and told me, um, that she had died on Friday night, I had a lot of like, I had like that surge go through my body where you hear something shocking, right? Like where I feel sick to my stomach and I had to sit in it and just feel it. And like we all did, it was horrible. And, and I can still feel that if I truly want to, um, but something happened. So that night was pretty rough and I saw what started swirling around social media as far as, you know, we're screwed, we're devastated, it's over, we're defeated. And that night, obviously I felt that way too. Um, but I woke up the next morning and I felt really different. Um, and, and I want to kind of explain why, uh, I want to tell you a few things about Ruth Bader Ginsburg that you may already know, but I want to piece them together so you kind of have an understanding of why I feel different. Um, so first of all, I'm not going to go way back into her childhood, but there were a lot of challenges. Number one, just being um, that her mom had cancer and that she had to like fight, you know, fight her way through school and figure out how to get to college, et cetera. Um, and so just these personal struggles continued, um, when she wanted to reach her own academic goals, even when her husband was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. Do you remember the movie? Do you remember the movie we watched and the documentary in 1956? This was during law school. Ruth Ginsburg kept going to school and took care of her husband and still stayed at the top of her class. Okay. And then while she was at Harvard, she also was a mother in a male-dominated school where she was one of nine females in a 500-person class, okay? So just consider that. She faced gender-based discrimination from even the highest authorities. Um, she, the, Hillary Clinton said the same thing, was like kind of, you know, yelled at for taking a man's place mm-hmm. at Harvard. That happened to Hillary, too, when she was taking the bar. Um, and... When her husband did, uh, he did eventually recover from uh, cancer. She graduated from Harvard and they moved to New York City so he could take a position at a law firm. And she still had one year of law school left. So she transferred to Columbia Law School. Okay, even that we may be like, oh, and then she transferred. That's kind of a big deal, Right. right? And then she graduated first in her class at Columbia. Okay, so but this wasn't it. She continued to face gender-based discrimination um, in the 60s. She had difficulties finding a job even after being top of her class in Columbia. Like professors refused to give her a recommendation, even though she, I mean, she was the best in her class. Um, She eventually got a clerk job, had to kind of work her way up, but always had a much lower salary than men. No surprise there, right? Um, But then she took some time to focus on her other passion, which was Um, like civil procedure. She worked on the Columbia Project of International Civil Procedure. She got into um, teaching. Um, She was a professor at Rutgers uh, Law School. And then eventually she kind of merged all these things and she started leading the fight against gender discrimination. She argued six landmark cases before the Supreme Court. Okay, so before she was on the Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. I think everybody knows this by now, but six landmark cases. Um, So what was her focus? You know, it was for women, but also for men who were discriminated against. Like if you know one of her biggest lawsuits, she actually took the side of focusing on how men were discriminated against and then convinced all the judges who were men that it was unlawful. And that's how the laws got changed for men and women. Right. And if she would have came at it from the typical place, which is, you know, we females are getting discriminated against, she probably wouldn't have gotten as far, but she knew how to get their attention. 
Exactly. She knew what would work. She was brilliant. And she experienced, you know, continuing gender discrimination. She had to hide her pregnancy at Rutgers, you know, as she was working there. Um, And then she was eventually appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals by Jimmy Carter in 80, in 1980. And then she was appointed in 1993 to the Supreme Court by Bill Clinton. Why do I read all that um, to you? Um, Because she, (laughs) when we're like, we're defeated, it's over. What did she teach us? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the whole point of Ruth's story right. and Ruth? And I feel like sometimes we rely too heavily on one person instead of taking what they did and practicing it ourselves. I am I am still... Not, it's not like I'm through my grief about this or that I'm over it or that I'm like, everybody, you know, quit crying about it. We can grieve about this. We can do two things at once. We can grieve... Ruth's passing, which is devastating. I've been nervous about this for years. When we found out she had pancreatic cancer, you and I unfortunately know a lot about pancreatic cancer and it's not great. Okay. For most. For most. Um, And so we've been worried about it for a long time. Um, But she persevered. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's what she showed us. Like, you know, just a few other things, you know, she continued to fight for women's rights, obviously, while she was on the Supreme Court. And I loved this. I loved this small part because I'm not going to read you everything she did on the Supreme Court because I think we kind of know the gist. Until her death on September 18th, Ginsburg worked with a personal trainer in the Supreme Court exercise room and for many years could lift more than Justices Breyer and Kagan. She was like in her 80s. Um, I have a few bullet points I want to share. Wait, can I finish sure, this? Sure, go ahead. Until 2018... She had not missed a day of oral oral arguments, even when she was undergoing chemotherapy for pancreatic cancer, after surgery for colon cancer, or the day after her husband passed away. She proved time and time again that she could show up and that she was a force to be reckoned with. So can we be that? Yeah. And and I think sometimes I get frustrated because I feel like we're like, well, if that person's gone, then we're doomed. It reminds me of... Um... My college roommate said this to me one time. He was a soccer player. His name is Brett. Hi, Brett, if you're listening. And he used to say when the best player on the team would get injured yeah. or or couldn't play for whatever reason, that's when the team plays their best games. Correct. Because they don't have – they know they can't rely on that person to come in and bail them out. Absolutely. So I feel like what you're saying is, all right, RBG is transitioned from this place to the next, and how do we – show up and be a better team, even in her passing. And she showed us her whole life, how to do it. But I think what so many of us do, which has a lot to do with Zen parenting, and let me be clear, I do this too, which is why you can hear my frustration because I get mad at myself, is that we look at someone else and say, save me. Mm -hmm. You save me. You teach me how to do this. You feel good and I'm going to pull. We we like to Colin Robinson, everybody. We want to pull the energy from other people. You know, it's yeah. like we're, we, instead of like finding it in ourselves, we pull the energy from other people. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, meaning that I'm always looking for role models and people to learn from, that's, it, that's not the same thing. What we do is we fall apart if, you know, that person is gone instead of saying, what did they do and what can I keep going with? And I read something else um, on Facebook that I'm just going to paraphrase. It's not that long, but it was, I don't even know who wrote this. So I wish I could give credit. Somebody sent it to me because they had heard me saying exactly what I'm saying to you now about how I'm, you know, I was getting so many emails from people and texts from people like we're screwed. And I was like, God, like this is, we're already devastated. So can we instead say kind of turn rise, rise empowerment. But so this person who wrote this on Facebook, I wish I could say who it was, but they said, Ruth Bader Ginsburg led a life of constantly swimming upstream. Everything from institutionalized sexism, misogyny, ignorance, bigotry, anti-Semitism, and for her final curtain, five bouts with cancer. Five bouts. (laughs) Through it all, never did she throw up her hands and say, that's it, I'm so screwed, or my life was nice while it lasted. To the contrary, she didn't complain, she fought. She knew the ultimate beneficiaries of her battles were not just her, they were us. And of course, these are depressing times, right? Like this is, and this writer is saying this, and I'm confirming that this is hard, but it's hard to have tolerance for defeatism. And then he goes on to say, do not message me to tell me how bleak the world is. 
And then it says, if RBG showed us anything, it's that defeatism is for the meek. And there are people that want to take advantage of that. Don't be meek. Be like RBG. Be strong. She was five foot one and 110 pounds. <laughs> Yet never in her 87 years did she say to anybody else, it's pointless to fight on. So now's the time. You know, so now I'm not reading anymore. Yeah. I'm just talking. So that doesn't mean we don't be sad and grieve and go place flowers in D.C. or to any other memorial of hers. We do that. We grieve. And when the waves come in, even a year from now, we grieve. But at the same time, we pull from what she shared with us rather than deciding it's over. Because how would she feel? Right. Thinking that she did dedicated almost or fully 87 years of her life. And then we're all like, well, we're done. It's We got to keep going. Yeah, and it's that relationship between feeling your sads and not let it get you to the point, or maybe, I don't know, I was going to say not let let it get to the point where you're complacent, like this is the time to rise up, and this is that balance. It's funny, like maybe that quote from Singer might, it's just about how we need to feel all of our feelings, the happiness and the sadness, and we ought not to let our sadness make us complacent. There, There should be times when you're like, you need to rest in your sadness and feel all your feelings. And then, you know, because there are waves, they come in and out. Joyful waves come in and out. Sadness comes in and out. Anger comes in and out. Then what are you going to do with that energetic expression? Like, are you going to let it hit you even harder and make you get into a lower state? Or are you going to like love, maybe not love it, but just allow for this to come in so that you can come back and fight for lack of a better term? Yeah, I 100% agree with what you said. And I think that's, again, the, you know, it's unfortunate that we really do believe that we have to live in a binary because then we're like, I'm either sad or inspired. And you can be sad and inspired. Those two things can be happening at once. Like, I feel like something happened and it's been happening for years. It's not just with Ruth. I think it just kind of solidified it. There's been pieces of my brain that have been reorganizing for probably five years or so, maybe even longer, maybe more like seven, where the way I used to think, it's like all these pieces are like coming together to not be like, okay, once everything is okay, then I'll be okay. Because that is never, ever going to be the case. Right. We have to live inside the not okay and keep going inside the not okay. And I think the last however many years has been the not okay has been extreme, Mm -hmm. especially this year. Like I'm so there with you. Um, But I also think what's the alternative here? Like I kind of – that's what I feel like is reorganized is I woke up on Saturday, you know, and again, lots of texts, emails, articles, you know, overwhelm about what happened. And on top of everything else, it's still happening. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm ready to have an underdog mentality again. Mm-hmm. I think what restructured in my mind was we were going forward with our country or with life in a way that we were like, okay, we're on track and every you know, everything is moving straight ahead and you know, things are going well. And this is the we're unfortunately I, I for lack of another way to say it, we're two steps back or however many steps back. It's hard to judge in the um, big scheme of events. You mm-hmm. like don't know how long these right. experiences will last, right? And I just remember in previous years, you know, I'm 49 years old, so I've lived through a lot of elections and I know this one is more significant. I'm not saying it's not. I see the big picture. But we are, I, I used to be, conditioned to being more of an underdog, you know what I mean? And I feel like that's something I've definitely, you know, when I read, you know, or talk to, you know, women of color who have, are experiencing what's going on in the world, not only do they inspire me, but there's a lot of, yeah, you keep going. You know, when things don't work out the way that you want them to, you keep going. You don't stop. You don't, you don't say, well, it's over. We got defeated. You keep going. And I'm, well, and one thing you shared with me is that um, in the moment when I said bad news, RBG died, um, you spent some time, and I think what you said was like you felt really alone. Yes. Like isolated from this problem. Like you're the, and this is probably not presenting it well, but like you felt like there was 
you and everybody else. And then you start to think of some of your mentors, Oprah, Elizabeth Gilbert, Glennon, all these people like, oh, they're going through this exact same thing at the same time. Yes. So like my initial, and I think that when we're feeling pain, it is alone, right? We're only, we, even though we can share that with other people, when you first feel that hit of pain, Mm -hmm. you got to feel it in your own body and you have to feel your own fear and you have to feel your own sadness. And you do feel alone. Even if someone's giving you a hug, you have to feel it. And then I had some moments, like I said, the next morning, or maybe even that night, you might be right, where I got on Instagram and I'm like, oh yeah, everybody I love, respect, follow, am friends with, um, everybody, and I don't care political party, everybody's devastated by this. And I know there's some people who are taking advantage of it. I'm well aware of that, but let's put those in a, you know, let's put a pin in that for a second. Everybody's devastated by this and none of us are alone and it is, um, we don't have to then carry the burden alone. Mm-hmm. We have to feel it alone initially, or at least I do. Um, and then we can remember that none of us are doing this by ourselves. And then that empowers me too. So thank you for bringing that up that we, and, and I look to other people and I say, you know, if it be Ruth or if it be what, like I was saying, you know, other people I follow or know who inspire me, I'm like, look what they do. You ready for my favorite African proverb? Please. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And just remember that, you know, we're energy in motion. We're constantly moving. Things are constantly changing. Nothing's done. And I know things are scary and it feels like we're going backwards. And I agree with that. Like, if you want to go down a path of fear with me, watch out. I might win. Mm. (laughs) Like, I've got plenty of it. But it doesn't, what I've learned through mindfulness, through meditation, through pain, through loss, is that it, it doesn't do any good to say to stay stuck there. That's not supposed to be a place we live. We don't live in a box inside of our fear. And the faster, not that it's a race, but is the, the more open we are to embracing what is, which is our emotions or sadness and all that, the more likely it is that you're able to transform and move in a different direction. What happens, I think, is we resist these feelings mm-hmm. and that's what keeps us stuck. Yeah, that could be, you know, and and I could take what you just said two ways. Like there, we don't have to, like for those, you know, we're all grieving. We don't have to get over our grief. We can still grieve, but then still know we're not defeated. Mm. And when I say defeated, what I mean is that, that everything is going to go downhill from here. Like think about all the people who are working so hard, who are out there in the world making change and and living their lives and inspiring us. And and then I also hear what you're saying, that you're saying like we, we can, I, I was going to take that a different way and I forgot what you just said. We're not okay with not being okay. And what yeah. I'm saying is, can we be okay when we're not okay? Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're saying the same thing in a different way. Can we be sad? Can we be okay with these uncomfortable feelings? Yes. And you know, maybe that's it. Maybe those are the pieces that shifted in my mind is Ruth was just fine. was one of the last pieces of the puzzle, I guess, is that's what this year has been. We've had to exist in not okay. My, my daughter and I were just talking, you know, I know we talk to our children about what's going on in the world all the time, but like with COVID, like with, you know, this election coming up with just so much disappointment and pain and loss, we don't have a choice but to live within the not okay. But inside the not okay, can we be okay? It's a, it's a very like... Um, I feel like the one quote that you picked out is exactly what this is talking about regarding Singer. Do you mind if I play yeah, that go ahead. now? Go ahead. So real quick, this is a clip from this virtual course I'm taking by Michael Singer. This is just one minute and 15 seconds within the six of the eight sessions we have. So I hope this lands, but I feel like it is very related to what it is that we're talking about right now. So you have a heart and it does these different things we were talking about. For example, what should be my relationship with my heart? Be grateful you have one. That's your starting place. You don't want to not have a heart. So for me, the heart is emotions. So when you're feeling it. A heart is like an orchestra. You ever watch a movie without the score? It's dead. (laughs) It doesn't have any juice to it, right? Your heart 
when something happens, plays the orchestra, doesn't it? It gives this richness. It sends up these vibrations of love or fear or something like, oh my God, it's really strong, isn't it? Okay, and it plays many, many different instruments and it, it gives richness to your life. That's why God gave you a heart. It wasn't a punishment. It wasn't like some obstacle. It was this beautiful, just like I said, your mind. What you do with your mind is destructive, but your mind is beautiful. You can use it to go anywhere, to learn and expand, and it, it goes beyond your senses. Your heart is beautiful. Everyone's heart is beautiful. You have a human heart. That human heart is just like the human mind. It can play notes that's so extreme from one end to another. It can go from absolute ecstasy to deep pain and sorrow, can't it? What's wrong with that? Yes. Yeah, you know, I know. I mean, it's it's just so true that we I think I learned that what he was just talking about the most through depression. And that I depression meaning like I had there was a time that I had kind of more of a ongoing depression. And that I remember learning or feeling in my body finally that if I just did things moment by moment, that things didn't hurt so bad. Mm -hmm. And I've, I took that to an extreme. Yeah. I had to play with that idea because sometimes I'd be way too, you know, like you've got to find this balance. But now that I've been practicing that for what, nine years, it, it makes more sense to me in my body where it's like, we can worry about a lot of things in the future and have a lot of thoughts about what should happen and have goals in our own life or be concerned about our kids. You know, maybe this isn't even about our you know, democracy or politics, but we can only do right this second, right? It's all we can ever do. And so what are we going to do? Like, are we going to be in a ball on the floor? Maybe for a little bit to have a good cry, but then we got to get up. Like, and we have to like keep doing the things and not only doing the things it's not, life doesn't have to be a constant slog. Like we can actually have some ice cream and laugh with your family and plant sunflowers. I did that this summer and it was so enjoyable and figure out, you know, enjoy fall weather that's coming. You, you can find joy in the midst of uncertainty and challenge. It's okay. Like you're not... You're not cheating on your uncertainty and challenge by feeling joy with inside of it. We are layers upon layers upon layers. Mm -hmm. So just understanding that, that I see the big picture. I know what's going on. I know my pain. I know people are hurting. I know we're struggling. Um, and still, I need a good laugh occasionally. And I need a good walk and a good podcast and a good meal. And those things make me happy. Well, and it's funny, like... We woke up on Friday. I don't think either one of us were worried. We, we had an idea of what, how the day was going to go. Uh -huh. I don't think either one of us thought, wow, I hope RBG doesn't die today. Right. So she died and we're like, whoa, this was not part of my plan for the day. Yep. So then we get sad or angry of what the repercussions are of this event. And we just end up getting really, for me, like I think of like my hands get like vibrating, like tingly, like uncomfortable. And I feel like that discomfort for me is resistance. Instead of letting it in and letting the sadness penetrate me, I don't like those feelings. Like, can anybody say that they like, some people love, oh, I had a good cry. So I, do you, so you've had good cries, right? Right. But the cry is good. It's not the moments leading up to the cry. But, that, so, that but when you're having the cry, I think it probably depends. Sometimes you're like, this is great. And then there's probably other times you're like, I don't like this at all. Well, not to like be too dissecting of what you're saying, but I don't enjoy what leads up to the cry. And during the crying, you're letting out pain. So mm -hmm. I don't enjoy that. It's after you're done Got that it. you had a good cry. Yeah, it's kind of like... Uh, like I think of like the ocean just like washing away, you know, you're just creating space or just... You're just consider a physical throw up, mm -hmm. a physical vomiting. That yeah. doesn't feel good. You don't like the way you feel beforehand. You don't like the way you feel when you're letting it out. But when you're done, right. you feel better. That's, that's to me the best analogy about pain is that I had to, I was fighting what I was feeling so hard on Friday that I literally had to sit two or three times with my eyes closed and go just sit in that tingly feeling that you're talking about 
not so it would go away and I'd never feel it again, but you better just, you have to have a moment where it washes over you because that's how you shift. Yeah, I just feel like there's, I can only speak for myself. What I do many times, not all the time, is I just push it down or distract myself. Like there's all these things I do. And I think a lot of us do that. Sure. And these conversations that you and I are having is just like a good gentle reminder. Like when these, it's like, you know, when you think about when you're about to throw up, you're like, no, 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 I don't want to throw up. And you know, like I don't throw up anymore, but when you're a little kid, you're always throwing up. Right. And you get a lot of saliva in your mouth. Did that happen to you? Uh, uh, Yeah. Right. That's what I don't know why the body does that. Like maybe it's just getting ready to throw up. It's like an awful feeling. And I feel like what I do, I can't speak for anybody else's. I'm like, I don't like this feeling. So I'm just going to distract myself. Drink a lot of water. Drink water. Just do some metaphorical or practical thing to avoid whatever it is that I think is about to happen. And why does our body need to throw up? Because whatever we have in our body needs to come out. Mm -hmm. What I mean is that if you have a fever, your body is like relieving your body of, you know, it's cleaning out your stomach for you, getting rid, or if you swallowed something poisonous Mm -hmm. or you had a certain food you're not supposed to have, your body is ridding yourself of that toxicity. So your body is trying to do what's best for you. And we're saying, no, 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 no. Our brain is overriding. Yep our body's natural intelligence. Exactly. So my goal is to, you know, and he talked about the mind there, like, you know, our mind is so powerful and it could do wonderful things like put a man on the moon or a woman on the moon or, and it could also tell you that what these feelings are about to come up are not okay. So that's the bad part about what the brain does. Correct. And in what it is, is it's a part that we have to, it's not about being bad or good. It's about because why I'm saying that is because there are times we might be in the middle of a business meeting and we know we're going to throw up and we can talk ourselves out of it until we get to the bathroom. Yeah. So and my co- problem is I always think I'm in a business meeting. <laughs> yes, that's a good analogy. You know? Um, but like, so we're grateful. So instead of calling a feeling bad or good, we just say sometimes it we overcompensate or we do we go too far with our, our ability to control what we're feeling. And, you know... It's interesting. I'm not quite sure which way I want to go here, but I think I'll go this way. Either it's like swing to the side. One side, I was going to talk about samskaras Mm -hmm. and then swing to the other side. I'm going to talk about... Can we go both? Can we do both? Possibly. I was going to talk about that I, you know, Todd was talking about how sad I was on Friday night or that I had to kind of sit and, you know, start just talking about how I was feeling. And one of the things that I did was I started yelling at him about men Mm. and inequality and that I wish there was more justice for, um, more support, more understanding. I've represented this system that you were mad at. I was mad at the system for all women, uh, women of color, the LGBTQ community, anybody who is a minority in, in this world of white men who, um, are in charge Mm -hmm. and what, the desire is to continue that the desire to not only hold power, but take power and not understand that there is plenty for everybody. And that when everybody is empowered, our world is healthy. And I mean that from a million different angles, like, you know, think about your own experience. If if in your own family, if everybody in your family is feeling good, think about how your family thrives. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to like take away people's rights and power or never give it to them in the first place and then say, yeah, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to have 1% of the people have money and make sure that these people don't have money. People who are wealthy have health care. These people don't have health care. Um, it's, I don't, I get, I got mad at Todd, even though he's not doing it. He was my only person. I was there. To yell at. And I had, that's a real feeling for me. I don't know any woman who doesn't feel that occasionally, not all the time. Again, we're talking about modulating feelings. I don't walk around the world being angry, um, but those feelings live. You can't be a woman in this world and not feel those things. Right. And just to kind of give maybe the the other side of the equation. So yes, you, were, you weren't like screaming, but no. you were expressing displeasure about the system. And I, as a white straight man, am part of this collective system. So there's a part of me like when you're saying these things, I happen to be in a good enough place to be able to hold the space for you 
to express this stuff. Because for the most part, I'm like, I know this isn't about me. And you even said, like, I know, Todd, this isn't about you, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know what you said, but basically I'm going to let you have it anyways. No. You I, didn't say no. that. I because my desire, my desire was not to let you have anything. What I was telling you was about what goes on in the world and you are a representation. Okay. You are a white man. Right. So in that moment, I was in a good enough place to receive it without getting defensive or overly defensive, which is really, um, sometimes I'm in that place and sometimes I'm not. So I'm just saying that for... Um, anybody in a relationship when something doesn't, it didn't, um, like there's a part of it that didn't make all the sense to me. Like, cause part of me is like, I didn't do any, like, what does this have to do with me, Todd Adams, who lives in Elmhurst? So when that happens, it just tells me that there's something else going on. Like there's something else cooking. And what I was going to say is maybe this brings us back to some scars. Like you have some, some wounds about not being, um, seen as a woman, as a girl, and this is activating all the stuff that you've had to deal with as a woman in this world. You know what I mean? I accept that, but I also, you saying this isn't about me, I didn't do that, is kind of similar to an all lives matter thing. Right. Like there, it, I, I can own a you piece can, of it. And it's not about owning it personally. It's about accepting it as a truth mm -hmm. without me needing to say, thank you for mm -hmm. listening to all of my samskaras. Like the, I hear you that you are like so capable of like listening to pain and you are so, um, you know, and I want to give you all that credit of like, you know, you're, you ask good questions and you're so thoughtful about communication and everything. But that moment wasn't about me and my wounds. Mm. It was also about you yes. and men who are white in the world. Right. So it's like, that's how we flip it is we make it me and my pain, but there's, we both have it to hold. Right. And I, and I do think that, you know, I don't know how many times I've said on the podcast and a men's group, like the reason this world is as effed up as it is, is because mostly white straight men are doing, are making bad choices. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a hundred percent agreement right. with you on exactly what it was that you were saying. Absolutely. So and I wasn't I, trying to pass the buck like, oh, I got nothing to do with this. Right. I agree with you. Exactly. And, and I, and I know that, and I knew I could bring that up with you and you would understand. And I know that because you spend half of your life focusing on talking to men about mm. these things. So in no way do I feel like I need to, I'm putting this in air quotes, teach you anything. But I want to be clear because you were trying to make the point of, you were kind of saying like, I was able to hold the pain of Kathy because she has wounds. Well, yeah. And, and, and you're right. Correct. And there is an acceptance of this is not you being like, they're there. This is like, yeah, this is the way things are. And this is kind of the, you know, this is kind of the place that we're all trying to learn to hold when it comes to racial justice too, is we get so defensive about, yeah, but it wasn't me or I don't do that. Or I have this friend and I listen to this show and therefore this is not about me. It's about all of us. Mm -hmm. We all participate in systemic issues. If it be racial or misogynistic, we participate. And until we see our participation, it's very difficult to change it. And so, but our most natural response is to push it away and say, it's not me or that it's those people's wounding. And it's, and it's a, yeah, the wounds are there, but it's like, um, it's all of the above. It's kind of like what we were saying about emotions. This kind of fits, it's everything mm -hmm. at once. It's being, it's grieving and seeing that grief. And it's also acceptance and feeling strong and feeling as if we can stand up and rise up and make change. It's all of that together. And you know, I think I actually had an experience with a client recently that is related to this. Um, and I'll just be very, you know, general with this, but she was talking about how since she has been, well, it's more than one person. Cause I'm thinking of three people now who said the same thing to me since they have been at home more with their family, they've had to deal with more difficult conversations within the family. And it's an interesting thing to say, right? And so a lot of people say like, yeah, we're really not supposed to be with our family this much. You mm. know, we should be more spread out or we should not have to deal with these issues. But what's interesting is if we can deal, if sometimes when we're with our family, that's an important time to work through those issues is that if we're, if we're constantly avoiding the, the discussion or pretending it's not happening. Or just, or just proclaiming we're not supposed to be in the same house 40 hours a week. And this way we, like, I would say 
this, although it sucks, this is an opportunity to like untie some knots. And those knots hurt. And so we say, well, because this hurts, I don't want to do this. And we shouldn't be here having this discussion. Yet you might be, I like that language, Todd. You might be untying a knot that helps you down the road or that day or that moment or helps you personally. Like we feel like anything that is like painful, then we need to figure out a way to not do it anymore. What this is, it's an example of, it's always an inside job. So, so, you know, we all do this most of the time, but in the example that you just gave, you had some clients or friends that said the outside isn't working. Correct. And the outside being this unit, this, this family unit that we all have to be together a lot more often because of COVID. So as long if I could just remove that as a variable and let COVID stop and then go back to work, then everything will work itself out. Correct. Then I don't have to feel all this crap anymore. And what what I would say is when I'm in my conscious place, my heart center, whatever you want to call it, this the universe is providing me an opportunity to untie a knot that otherwise I'd never even be able to see. Correct. This is so beautiful because it goes back to the Ruth thing. We've been devastated by a loss of like a titan, right? Mm -hmm. She carried so many of us as far as like gave us a vision and a path and like what could be done. And now it's like we're feeling the pain of the loss and it's time to find that in ourselves. It's time, it's, it's, I'm, I'm tired of, not tired of, that sounds like I'm, I'm being careful with my words, but when people come to me and they're like, how do you feel about this? Make me feel better. I can do that, but dude, but rise you, up. You can make them feel better yeah. saying words or, or phone calls or emails, but it will it will recycle. It yeah. will make them feel better for a minute or a day or a week or a month, but eventually they're going to get back to the place where I'm still uncomfortable about some version of what it is that's going on and they have not pulled the weed from the roots. And what you said is so perfect that it, you said... Like my heart is beating so fast right now because I can feel that it's something I want to do too. I just want someone to tell me that it's going to be better. We all have this childlike quality where we want to look to a president or or a leader or a parent or Ruth Bader Ginsburg or, you know, Brene Brown and say, make, tell me it's going to be better. And I get that desire. Who doesn't want that? But at the same time, if you find those people, it's you don't hang on them and say, like, hang on their shirt and say, keep telling me. You pull from them so you can find that in yourself. Yeah. That's we're being taught how to do this on our own. And I get again, I get the desire to want to not do the work and just find mom and dad to tell you it's gonna be okay. But you know. They gave us, our parents, the goal of parenting is to teach our children how to do this on their own, teach them how to fish. So when you said the words make me feel better, like somebody saying that to you, what that is, is it's a very disempowered position. It is. Whenever, because I say it all the time, make me feel better. I got enough money in my bank account. Make me feel better that, that. That this president, that this nominee is going to win, make me like we are always trying to make ourselves feel better, and it removes our own power. Yeah. When we say that, and I'm not trying not to demonize that because sometimes we do need support and propped up, but if we say that enough and it's a pattern, it's just a disempowered. Well, it's it's like again, it's both and, right? Because I look to role models. You know, I have vision boards, I have people I follow, books I read, podcasts I listen to, to help me stay empowered. And then I have to practice it. Mm -hmm. And I have to do, I have to make a decision of how I'm going to see the world and what I'm going to choose to take in. Like, do you guys want to know how many times I have deleted the Apple News app from my phone? I will like delete it and then bring it back because I want to read a quick article and then delete it. And it's almost like it serves as like, who I want to be. Do I want to be reading news all day? And do I want to stay informed? Yes, but I can do that in a million different ways. But do I want to read a news app all day or watch TV all day and find out people's writing perspective on how miserable the world is? And I'm saying people's writing perspective because journalists and media people write stories enabled to scare the crap out of us. So we keep reading. Mm. So the, the news app 
it's, I'm not saying a fake news here thing. I'm not saying news is, is not truthful. I'm saying the way that it's sometimes written is meant to keep our brains activated, yeah. afraid. Reactive, And scared. sometimes you can read about something without being terrified about it. For example, Ruth's passing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing, if it is a, you know, if there's a headline that says, you know, Titan, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, 87 gave so much to the world. You look at that and you're like, wow, she's an inspiration. If it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, the Supreme Court's over, life is over, we're defeated, then you have a different feeling. And we have to decide what we're going to pull from and what we're going to read and and what we're going to allow to penetrate our mind and heart. Mm-hmm. And what I unfortunately have learned is that there's no way to keep certain things from penetrating your mind and heart, that they just get in there and then sometimes you have to let them kind of mill around and process through or vomit it out emotionally, and then you keep going. Well, I'm just recognizing the paradox because one of my one of the quotes I pulled from Tony Robbins was, stand guard at the gate of your mind. Yep. But if you think about it, that is another way of me wanting to feel better. Right. And which is, is a disempowered... It, this, I mean, Todd, like this whole show, like what is the definition of Zen? Zen is about ambiguity and paradox and living inside of it and not thinking that there's one way to think or be or that there's a right and a wrong or a good and a bad. Like the whole idea of Zen is that, you know, yin yang that we were talking about that it's both sides all the time and that there's a little of each in both sides. You can't have, you know, you can't have a light without shadow and you can't have life without death. Like these things, they go together. And my point is, is that you can own that quote by Tony Robbins and be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to stand at the, what is it? Stand guard at the gate of your mind. (laughs) I'm going to stand guard at the gate of my mind, but I'm also, when I feel sad or when I see something that bothers me, I'm going to allow that to penetrate, to touch my heart and express it. Yeah. And hopefully find wisdom from it. Yeah. I'm really sad right now. What is it? And I don't think you could do this in the moment, but afterwards, like, wow, I was really afraid or I was really angry. What is that emotion here to teach me? Like, how does that make me stronger? And what I do most of the time is push all that crap away because I don't like feeling uncomfortable. You know, one of my favorite new things that have, has happened in the last couple of months with meditation is I'll be meditating and then the alarm will go off and then there'll be a part of my body that's super uncomfortable. And it's usually in like a chakra one, two or three area, sometimes four. Um, And I will, and so I think a lot of people who think about meditation, they're like, well, if you're super uncomfortable after meditation, then it didn't work. And I think it did because that part of my body now feels safe enough Mm, to to make a- To show up. To show up. And then I put my hand either on my heart, my stomach or right below and I'm like, what is this? And, and I don't get like an absolute answer, like it is this or mm-hmm. it is this. It's more like you're okay and you can show up and you're accepted and whatever that is. Again, I have my own language to talk to my body. But I guess my point is, is that meditation is good. And sometimes at the end of meditation, fear comes up and that's okay. That was actually, do you know what I mean? It's that pull of both. Well, you're just trying to let... The energy flow. And going back to Singer, he uses this metaphor of a river. Mm-hmm. And all the things that are in the river, river that create rapids are the big boulders. And these boulders are some scars or stories or ego. And the idea is just to remove some of the boulders or pound on the boulders and make them smaller so that the energy can flow. So when you talked about your chakra work after a meditation, I feel like the meditation was like, removing something so that you can have some intuitive thing show up regarding what was going on in your body. Some energy's moving. Yeah. And so sometimes energy moving in your body feels like fear. Sometimes it's sadness. Sometimes it's unsure. Sometimes it's young. Um, So yeah, I think it's energy movement and that I cleared enough space to hear it and feel it. Exactly. And you did that without moving. You're meditating and sometimes you do it with movement and sometimes you do it with journaling or sometimes everybody's got their own shtick. Right. But I judge that whatever it was that happened to you in those meditations where something showed up, and even if it's uncomfortable, like that's progress. Exactly. It's in, let me give you another example that's the same kind of paradox that I realized just this morning. Morning is my absolute favorite time and the scariest time of day for me. At the very same time, I wake up and um, I see the sun and, and because... 
of COVID, I don't have to get up at 6 a.m. anymore. I can get up more like 7 o'clock, which is kind of nice. So I don't have that horrible wake up anymore that I used to because my body naturally gets up at 7 and I, and I love it and I feel so good and I'm terrified at the exact same time. And I have to hold them both. I, It's kind of like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're terrified and you have all these like feelings. So there's a part of me that's be like, what are you terrified about? Let's like investigate that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're terrified. I'm terrified. Is that okay? Right. And remember, terror is sometimes another word for uncertainty mm-hmm. and unpredictability and mortality and things that I don't have control over. I don't have control over today. I don't have control of over whether or not I hear another news, I hear more news like Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing. I don't know what's going to happen. That's why I have to live with that and then realize that morning is my favorite time of day. I go down and get my water and I could cry, but I'm not going to, but I might. <laughs> not. I don't, I don't feel like it right now. Okay. I, I go down and get water and a smoothie and coffee and I see my kids and I see Todd and I go sit outside and I love it. And I'm so happy and I'm terrified. And I think that's the human condition. I don't think that's like a Kathy problem or whatever. I think that is me owning it all at once, you know? Right. And there is, and maybe the word terrified doesn't sit with people. Maybe I could use the word uncertain or afraid. Well, you're or, afraid. You're afraid. It's some version of fear. And like, you know, going back to the orchestra metaphor, plays high notes, plays low right. notes. And in your example, it plays both notes I at hear, the same time. And doesn't every song, Yeah. doesn't every song have, there's no song. The bass and the treble, correct. the high and the low. Beautiful. Right. What a great analogy. That's really good, Todd. But yeah, like, doesn't every song have the high and the low and that you go between them and that sometimes it's in a low place and a high place? And But our brain's like, well, which one is it? Are you feeling high or low? And there's times when... You know, we've all felt that. Like I've, I've, some of the biggest laughs of my life have been at funerals. Correct. And some of, and some tears or some heavy feelings are when it's supposed to be a celebration. Right. Like it's just. Like I was just talking to a client the other day and her uh, daughter is like going into high school and she was so upset and crying because she's like, someday she's going to leave us and she's going to go to school. And, and part of me wants to be like, dude, she's just starting high school. But that's a real feeling. There's mm-hmm. a feeling of joy. My daughter's growing up and, yeah. and oh my God, she's leaving. And I have that feeling too, even though my daughter's already a senior, we can, we live inside of that. I, that, you know, let go, hold on paradox. Um, it's just allowance, just allow, 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 and yeah, and, and whatever comes in, allow it to come through. And, and then this is where I think this is the, the last two things I'll say is this is where gratitude becomes a practice because what I have learned from, uh, thankfully I teach every semester, my students about gratitude. So I get that reconfirmed over and over and over again, the newest research about gratitude, but the practice of gratitude is how we stay present because what I do in the morning when I feel afraid, but I'm also feeling really excited about the day is I'm grateful for my water and I'm grateful for the shower and I'm grateful for my coffee. And then I'm there with it rather saying, I'll enjoy this once I feel good all the time. Well, and if you think about it, grateful for breath, like think about all the people that couldn't go outside and breathe outside because of the California fires, Oregon fires. I'm guessing at least for at least a few days when those people in California and Oregon and Washington, um, went outside after the, once the winds kind of cleared some things, like they were probably the happiest people in the world. And it's just because they can go outside and breathe. Now, eventually that will go away and you'll start complaining about silly things, but I'll bet you that next morning after everybody's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I can this breathe. is such a great day. And it's a moment. How many of you have ever been like taken under by a wave and yeah. then you come up and you can breathe again and you're like, hallelujah, or you almost get in a car accident and then you don't. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hallelujah. And that moment that we can't hold that moment, meaning that it's not, that isn't the human condition to be able to stay in that moment of enlightenment. Well, and that's the clinging, right? Right. That's exactly. That's another type of, you know, trying to hold something that is not supposed to be held. But you can remember it. Sure. And that's what gratitude is. And then the last thing I'll say is that all these things we're talking about with you, parents, um, or with us, Todd and I having our own experience, think about this with your kids. Let them be good, bad, sad, happy. They're all over the place too. Quit asking them if they're happy. Yeah. Because they're not all the Love time. the ugly. Or maybe not love it. Maybe if maybe you can't love it, but you can be neutral on it. Yeah. 
And then maybe if you're neutral on it long enough, then maybe you can start liking it. Like, oh, my kid is really having a big reaction right now because of something I did or something school did or something his his or her friends did. And, you know, because we all get all jacked up when our friends, when our kids are experiencing anything other than happiness and just know that that's the orchestra playing. It is. And that the best predictor of a child's well-being is parent self-understanding is essential because if you understand the human condition, not only do you understand yourself, but you respect your kids and your partner. So um, that's I, it. I got to go. Um, so don't forget about Jeremy Craft. Uh, build an office, paint the house, um, 630-956-1800 avidcode.net. I'm going to play my wonderful music. There it is. Um, Wednesday night workshop. Dads, see you there. And then tonight, tonight. library. Uh-huh. Go to zenparentingradio.com. Click on events to get more information. Keep jogging. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing Podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidcode.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.